So I am grateful because last week I was actually able to finish a topic without changing them, without changing topics. I was so proud of myself. I said, wow, I actually got through one before changing it. So that was a milestone for me. I don't care what y'all think. That was a milestone for me. Uh, because normally when I, when I say, you know, I'm going to wrap something up tonight, I hardly ever do. And I realize. Uh, I've been, we're still on this topic of faith. And the, I have this itch. I have this urge. I guess it's not a carnal urge. It's a spiritual unction to dig deeper into this faith topic than I originally had planned to do because it's just, it gets richer and richer. But one thing I notice is that it gets simpler the deeper you go. Because the word of God is not meant to be complicated. It's meant to be simple because it's meant to be done. And anything that you can do, you have to be able to do. And if you're able to do it, then it can't be too complicated for you. Religion makes things complicated so that it's undoable. So then you can't be held accountable. If something's too hard to understand, you can't be held accountable for doing it. And that's why religion has all of these moving parts that don't matter. They over-engineer Christianity. They over-engineered faith. And that leaks into our faith culture, where we approach it with this idea that it's this complex thing that needs a lot of deep revelation to, to get the most out of. But here's the thing about revelation. Revelation always simplifies a thing. It doesn't add complexity. It removes complexity. One of the easiest ways to know if you've gotten a revelation from God is if a spiritual principle or concept gets easier to understand. Amen. Not if it gets more complex. You'll never get to the full depth of God because he is too vast. But you, your pursuit of being like him drives you to go for eternity into understanding him, which is why we need an eternity to know him. It doesn't end when you leave this body. It just begins. But while we are in this earth, we have specific assignments and specific responsibilities. And I'm trying to get into this lesson. I keep getting distracted. There are four stages to a diesel engine. There's intake, compression, combustion, and exhaust. A diesel engine works a little differently than a gasoline engine. If you ever buy a diesel engine and you, want to, you take it to a mechanic and you want to see if they know what they're talking about, just ask them whether it needs new spark plugs. If they say, well, I'll check, don't go to that mechanic. Because <laughs> diesel engines don't have spark plugs. Diesel engines produce their explosion, their combustion, by compressing the fuel till it heats up to a certain temperature, then it explodes. That's the combustion phase. The first phase is intake. It breathes air in, sprays a little fuel into the cylinder, onto the cylinder head. Then that cylinder rises and compresses the fuel till it heats up. That's combustion, explodes, and then you get exhaust gases. Four-stage diesel engine. That's a process. That was on my mind. I haven't needed that knowledge in a long time, but it popped up. Right? <laughs> it's a process. It happens all the time, every time. Diesel engines are known for being very reliable, which is why they use them in a lot of heavy machinery, because you can produce a lot of torque even at low horsepower with the diesel motor versus a gas motor. Most of your cars are gasoline engines because you can get a lot of horsepower. And we want horsepower because it allows us to go fast. But diesel engines aren't usually for going fast. They're usually for being reliable and for creating a lot of torque. So you use them in heavy machinery where strength is required more than speed. But that four stages is constant. It's scientific. It works when it's cold. Well, not if it's too cold, because then you have to have what's called glow plugs to keep the fuel warm, because the fuel gets below a certain temperature, it won't combust. 
So diesel engines usually have a, a separate battery that just powers what's called glow plugs to keep the block warm, even when it gets real certain below, below a certain temperature. I don't know why this is coming up. It's got it's to be applicable somehow, but I don't know yet. But it's a process. It's a system. I was trained on that system. I went to the Navy diesel shop. They sent me there for a few weeks. And every day, we had to take an engine apart all the way down to the nuts and bolts and then put it back together by the end of the shift. That was the same engine. Because when the aircraft carrier comes in, it's got dozens of anybody ever been in the Navy knows they got fire pumps everywhere. Because a fire break out on the ship, it's a disaster. So they got fire pumps, and all those pumps are diesel powered. And when they come in to dry dock, they take all the pumps, dozens of them, sometimes hundreds depending on the size of the ship, and they all got to get overhauled, and they all go to diesel shop. And so while I was in diesel shop, pallets worth of these pump motors were coming in. And they were just small diesel engines. And they would say, hey, new guy, because I was a new guy, take that apart, put it back together. Start it up. If it runs, you pass. If it don't run, take it apart, put it together again. And we would take the same motor apart every day for weeks. If you didn't have anything to do, grab one of the motors, take it apart, put it back together. You had to drain all the oil out, disassemble it down to the block. I'm talking about it. take every nut, every bolt, every spring, everything out. Then you had to put it back together, set the timing so that it doesn't run rich, so that it actually runs clean, because it's got to run clean. Put it back together, do it all over again. So you get real good at taking diesel engines apart and putting them back together. You do that every day, all day. And uh, after a while, we would get bored and start painting them different colors, just because you're going to do that so many times before you're just tired. Then they sent it to the aircraft carrier where they got a V12 diesel engine. They got two, a pair of them generators to generate power in case there's something wrong with the nuclear reactor. Nuclear reactor is what powers the aircraft carrier, but if that reactor goes down for some reason, you, you're in the middle of the ocean, you got to get power. So they have two generators that are powered by diesel engines. Those diesel motors are about the height of that wall. You got to get a ladder to work on that because it's that big, size of an SUV or a little bit bigger than an SUV. And we had, we had a leak on one, though. we had to take the block apart fix the leak, put it back together. But it's the same motor I was taking apart when it was this big. It's just 20 times larger. Worked on the same principle. Didn't matter the size of the engine. The principle was the same. All the parts I recognized, they were just a lot bigger. <laughs> that was it. But it's the same part, same shape, generally, same shape. But a system. Faith is a system. It operates as a system. When I began this faith series, when Ashley and Pastor Diana began it, and then I had hijacked it, because uh, that's usually how it works. She started preaching a thing, and then I hijacked it. The nerve of me to try to be original. <laughs> this is not an original book. We didn't write this. No. We're teaching the same stuff Paul taught, Peter taught, right. Pastor Phil and Pastor Barbara taught, right. Kenneth Copeland taught, Jesse Planis taught. Teaching the same stuff. Same thing. same thing. I was listening to Kenneth Hagin yesterday. Same thing. If you've never heard Kenneth Hagin, you need to go listen to Kenneth Hagin. Very simple. Same thing. But I've seen trends from myself all the way to Smith Wigglesworth. Not that I'm worthy to even be named in the same sentence as that man. But faith is a system. And one of the things religion has done is faith has married, I'm sorry, religion has married faith to our emotions. Because emotions are not a system. Emotions are like the wind. They flow back and forth, they change, and you can't predict it. And if you marry faith to your feelings, you never understand it. You try. You come to a church, the music plays right, the singer hit the right note, you feel something. And you say, oh, my faith is strong. And you try to find that feeling every time you're getting ready to do a faith thing. And if you can't locate that feeling, and 99% of the time you will not locate that feeling. You say, I don't have no faith, or something's wrong with my faith, or I don't feel like I'm in faith. But if you recognize that faith is a system, just like that diesel engine, 
works the exact same way every time. A thousand mechanics before me had taken that same motor apart and put it back together and they set the timing and the old head guys could do it with their eyes closed because they had been doing it for 40 years. And they haven't changed the diesel engine since it was invented 100 years ago. It's the same principle because it works. Faith is a system. And we've used a lot of analogies to try to show you how faith operates and, how to, and to show you how faith moves and works. And analogy is great. But you have to understand faith is a system. And there's, God has just been working on me since we started this faith series on removing, divorcing is a better word, divorcing faith from emotion. You need to be able to operate your faith, to live in your faith in the presence of any emotion. Jesus went through the full range of emotions throughout his ministry and throughout his life, but his faith never failed. It took all the faith he had to get on that cross, and he didn't feel good about any of it. That's the most harrowing experience a man can go through. None of us have ever experienced anything even close to it. He was in faith the entire time. He never slipped into fear, doubt, or unbelief. But no part of him felt good being crucified, being, being betrayed by one of his close friends, being beaten and, and, and beat up and, and lied on and scourged and whipped and broken. No part of that was pleasant. And none of us have experienced anything even remotely close to what he went through. But yet his faith never slipped. So my, my conclusion has to be that faith and feelings can't play in the same arena. Faith has to be attached to something that can function regardless of how you feel. So why do we give our feelings so much attention when we're trying to do faith things? Because we're trying to do faith things instead of living by faith. And if you try to do faith things, you look for confirmation. And we spend a lot of time looking for confirmation because we don't actually have faith for the things a lot of times. A lot of times we're looking for confirmation because we don't have faith. And we're hoping that if somebody, if enough people confirm what we're thinking or what we're feeling or what we say we want to do or what we want to believe, if enough people confirm it, people we trust, people we think are more spiritual than us, whatever the case may be, if we get enough confirmation, then we get a little bit of bravery to go try it. None of that is faith. Faith begins by confirming itself in the word. Because all faith comes from the word. That's how I'm, got, that's how I'm getting into this. Because tonight we're going to talk about, now we talked about for the last few lessons, we talked about the mind of faith, how faith thinks. Tonight we're going to talk about the heart of faith, where faith lives, because faith lives in your heart. All faith begins in the heart. That's a good note if you're taking notes. All faith begins in the heart. Now I'm going to take you to a scripture that we know very well. But in the, in the course of studying for this particular aspect, the Lord revealed something to me that just jumped off the page to me. Go to Luke chapter 8. Verse 5. This is the parable of the sower. And you know, Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. And I, ooh, I want to jump on that part, but I'm going to have to save that till later because that's a whole other life. That's a whole other night. But Jesus, being the author and finisher of our faith, is the master of faith. 
And whether you realize it or not, everything Jesus taught in his earthly ministry was a faith lesson. It was about faith. Every time he rebuked his disciples for something, it had to do with their faith. Either their lack of it, their misunderstanding of it. Because that was, that was all, for lack of a better term, in three years, that's all he had time to get through to them. The rest they would have to get through fellowship with the Holy Spirit throughout their ministries. But Jesus had to embody faith for them because the worlds were, fa were framed by faith. And everything Jesus did, he did by faith. And so while Jesus did preach on money, he preached on character, he preached on love, he preached on, on giving, he preached on healing, he preached on all those things, the core of everything Jesus preached was faith. Because, because in order to really understand faith and to master it, you would come across the brokenness in all those other areas and fix them. Because you cannot walk in faith. You cannot live by faith and not walk in love. You cannot live by faith and not be a generous giver. You cannot live by faith and not believe in healing. So if I had to get you really good at something and give you a crash course in something, and man, I, I often said, man, I would have loved to be one of those guys that followed Jesus around for three years, but that's a lie. I, I would not want to be one of those people, and neither would you, because 11 out of the 12 of them were murdered, and thousands more were murdered. Only one of them died natural death, and even he went through some stuff. And Jesus told them, he said, yeah, they're going to kill you. He didn't miss any words. He said, many of you will be murdered for this. I, I, God bless America. <laughs> Let's just keep it real. Uh, plus, they didn't have any Wi-Fi. So, look, I got the same access to Jesus they had. So it's, there are no cons to living in this generation <laughs> versus that one. It's all, all the cons are on that end. Because I got Wi-Fi and I can talk to Jesus just as much as they can talk to Jesus. So that's a win-win. Thank God for the resurrection. <laughs> because we all talk a bunch of junk. Man, if I had a time machine, I would go back then and sit at the feet of Jesus. You don't pray for an hour today. You think you're going to sit in the desert for 12 hours and let that man talk for 12 hours without eating anything and wait till it's nighttime and then he puts you in a group of 50 people times 100 and you got to wait for his disciples to bring you some bread and some fish. They ain't even bringing nothing to drink. And you've been in the desert all night with this man preaching all day. Jesus would preach all day. And you don't pray for an hour now. You would not sit at the feet of Jesus. You probably couldn't even get close to his feet because there were so many people everywhere he went that you have to fight through the crowd just to even get to him. And you probably wouldn't recognize him because he don't look nothing like that blonde Italian guy that they use. You wouldn't know him because he looked like everybody else. Somebody had to say, yeah, that's Jesus. And I can prove that because when Judas betrayed him, he had to tell the guys, look, the guy that I walk up and kiss on the cheek, that's Jesus. Because he didn't stand out until he started talking or healing somebody. This whole crowd of mobsters came up with swords and sticks and stuff to arrest him and didn't know what he looked like. So he couldn't have been necessarily uniquely featured. So you probably wouldn't recognize him either. You think you would, but you wouldn't. Until somebody said, that's Jesus. And then you'd probably go, he don't look like Jesus to me. Because <laughs> I think we have, we have you know, we, we have the post-Christian, you know, idea of Jesus. After he got famous. We don't have the, they was killing people for this picture of Jesus. We have the, we grew up in a society where Jesus is famous and posters of him all over the place. And he made movies about him and stuff like that. And even though we live in a broken culture and a broken society that desperately needs Jesus, there's still a certain amount of reverence for him overall that did not exist at all in his day. He was a celebrity, 
till he got crucified. Then he tried to make him a nobody. So, no, I would not want to be back then. There is no benefit to being back then. They wish they could be here. You mean to tell me there's such a thing as Wi-Fi and I can still talk to Jesus? They wouldn't get that up. So anyway, Luke chapter 8. This is the parable of the sower. Sower went out to sow his field, verse 5. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock. As soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. Then he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's an interesting statement. We always breeze by that statement. I breeze by it. You breeze by it. Because you, like I, thought that Jesus was saying, listen to what I'm saying. And that's not what he said. Anytime you see words in red, there's a meaning to it. Because that's one that's Jesus talking. And Jesus spoke out of his reality. He spoke out of his understanding of the kingdom. He didn't speak out of the people's understanding, which is why he spoke in parables a lot. Because he couldn't talk down to their... It's, it's kind of like if you're talking to somebody who thinks the earth is flat, you're not going to start agreeing because that's what they deeply believe. You see a man walking around in a dress calling himself a woman. You don't, you shouldn't go, well, to be nice, I'm just going to call him she. If you have a backbone, you won't do that. I cannot engage in your delusion. I know the truth. And if you know truth, you speak from truth. You don't have to necessarily try to go out of your way to hurt somebody. But you never deny truth to be nice. Because when they look for truth, they need to be able to find you. And you, you don't get swept up in a moment in the name of love. Because love never violates truth. Love preserves truth at all costs so that when somebody hits their head and looks for truth, they can find it. And the church is doing a bad job, in my opinion, of preserving truth. And they're calling it love. But those people are going to need us because the devil's going to toy with them for so long and then he's going to drop them just like he does everybody he toys with. And when they need salvation, they're not going to be able to find it in the people that allowed them to be toyed with. Jesus spoke out of truth. So when he said things, he said things as we would understand them later after we were filled with the Holy Ghost and got revelation. But at this point, we didn't have that revelation. So it sounds like he's saying, listen to me if you can. But that's not what he's saying when he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 12, or verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from the word. Thank you very much. See, we, see, we get taught well in this church. Those by the wayside are they that hear, and then comes the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should what? Believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear, notice that word here, receive the word with joy, but they have no root. So for a while they what? They believe, and in time of temptation they fall away. Now, remember last week we talked about the persistence of faith? That faith has a persistent character to it. It never gives up. You can't move it. The Bible calls that patience. We're going to talk about patience. James goes into detail on that. Verse 14, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to perfection. They never mature. The fruit never matures, he says. Perfection meaning they get stuck in one spot. Now, I noticed the things that he brought up. He said cares. Let me try to quote Jesus right. Riches and pleasures. And that stuck out to me. He said because you mean to tell me that 
riches and pleasures can cause your faith to not mature. And he said to me, comfort. You can get to a place where you're comfortable and your faith never matures. He says that they don't bring it to maturity. Because remember what word is. Word is faith seed. Word is sown. Let me give you what the Lord gave me. If you're taking notes. The word is sown. The heart either cultivates or rejects the word. And according to Jesus, it can cultivate it at different levels. I can only give y'all the surface tonight. I got to go to each one of these points deeper. The fruit of the word is faith. The fruit that Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 8 is faith. The fruit of faith is healing, finances, relationships, etc. But the fruit of the word is faith. faith. The word is sown and it is cultivated to varying degrees. Some, it never gets a chance. The devil comes and steals it right away. Some, immediately, they feel good. But they don't have a root, so it withers. Some, they actually get a root, and it begins to grow. But then they get comfortable. They get comfortable, and comfort can be distracting. How many of you were broker than you are now and you started this faith life and you got to a certain point you got a couple of things and now you've shifted your mindset to maintaining those things and you are not where you should have been by now and i raised my hand too because you can get just rich enough Where your faith goes, where you rather say, okay, faith, this is good enough. Now I'm, I got a better job than the one I had. I got a better car than the one I had. I got a better home than the one I had. Now I'm going to work overtime to maintain it. Because I, I worked out my calculations where if I do enough overtime and I do enough of this, and if we had this on the side, we can, we can be all right. But when you had none of this, it was all faith all the time. Lord, I believe your word. Lord, this. And you was praying and, and confessing. And then you just you get out that hole. And suddenly you start, you're trying to maintain what you didn't give yourself. And you stop trusting God. Because now you feel like you got it. But you didn't have it 10 years ago. That's an easy trap to fall into. We've all fallen into that trap. And I can prove it because ain't none of us got a Bentley yet. That's how I'm judging your faith. You got, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. That was a joke. You might not even like Bentleys. To be honest, neither do I. Not really. <laughs> They're beautiful cars. They really are. But if I'm going to spend 400 grand on a car, I'm going to buy a Rolls Royce. That's just me. Phantom, you know. And I would spend 400 grand on a car because I like cars. But because I like cars, I'm real picky about them. You know, I'm not, I'm not the go get a Ferrari guy just because you're supposed to have one. I don't like Ferraris. They're not very practical. But anyway, I, I have a whole, me and Ferrari have beef. I have beef with Ferrari because I hate how they run their company. And I'm saying that to Ferrari. I don't like how you run your company. But that's just me being a car guy and being a car snob. I'd rather have a McLaren. Now, the good ground is they, verse 15, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now, remember James. Let's go to, I'm going to go to James real quick. James defines patience 
Go to James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. This is James chapter 1, verse 2, verse 3. Verse 4. But let patience have her complete work. The word perfect meaning complete. That you may be complete and entire, wanting nothing. So Paul, I'm sorry, James says, patience is designed to be developed along with your faith because it is an essential element of faith. Jesus says in Luke that the good ground heart develops faith with patience. Steadfastness. Patience means steadfast. Patience does not mean waiting. Patience does not mean waiting for a long time. Patience means being stable while you wait. To be more accurate, patience means being so stable you don't even realize you're waiting. You are so locked into your faith that you lose track of time. Because you ever try to get a child to be patient? They sit still, but they fidget the entire time. Because they're not comfortable yet. They're not really patient. They just have no choice because it ain't going to happen no faster. But that's not the definition of patience. You say patience, baby, patience. But that's not real patience. Real patience is, I'm good. It'll happen when it happens. I'm not fidgeting. I'm good. I'm so confident that it will happen. I'm so confident that it has happened that whether it's in the next 10 minutes or the next 10 years, I'm the same person. That's what patience actually looks like. And that's the type of patience that, that developed faith generates in the heart. But I want you to notice something Jesus says. He says, in the good ground heart, when the word is sown, they keep it. And the word keep there is the same keep that, remember when God gave command to Adam to dress and keep the garden? You know, God, Jesus is using a garden analogy here. Keep the garden meant protect it from predators, protect it from interference. It doesn't just mean I hold on to it. It means there are things that are going to come to try to remove it, and your job is to keep it, to build a wall around it, to build a castle around it, to make sure that it cannot be harmed by outside influence. So now that we're all on the same page there, Let's go back to the heart. Since we're in the heart, let's go back to my notes on the heart. If you're taking notes, write this down. Access to the heart is controlled by the mind. And this is why we spent so much time on the mind the last few lessons. Because you cannot treat your mind like a garbage dump and protect your heart. Because the door to your heart is your mind. And we let our minds fill with things that violate the word in our heart or the word we claim is in our heart. And then wonder why no faith is coming from all that scripture we read in. Because you're reading scripture, right? And you're listening to teaching, right? And you, you, you're praying and all that good stuff. And you got tapes sent for well, nobody has tapes anymore, but you have recordings of the word. You have MP3s. You know, CDs. Well, even now, CDs is kind of. Anyway. <laughs> I still got some CDs too. I ain't gonna lie. I keep one or two CDs at all times. Pastor Diana got all the CDs. I have a couple of hers, but I ain't giving them back. Uh, and now I know she's going to ask me, what you got? Because I'm missing. And she ain't a bit more thought about the CDs in 15 years. That's how long I had them. But now that I've said I have them, she's going to know the ones that's missing. <laughs> and she's done bought them three times by now. But I do have a few. Uh, 
we're getting all these words into our mind. But along with that word, you're getting a bunch of other stuff. And you have to understand that's intentional because you got an enemy. The devil's not just going to let you grow up. You do know that, right? He's not, he's not in the business of letting you just get it. When you hear a teacher or you read a scripture, he's going to come. And he's going to challenge you in your mind because that's the only place he can. He has no access to your heart until you give him access. Well, how do you give him access? You let him hang out in your mind for a while. And the longer he's there, he begins to infect your thought processes. And it's, it can take time. But he lives there. And the mind, remember we said last week how it's like a filter. It's a filter into your heart. But you know, if your filter gets clogged up, eventually it stops filtering. Then the junk that's in the filter starts getting down into the area where it shouldn't get. That's how your mind is. Now, how long it takes depends on several factors. But I'm sensitive to things that I know if this gets in, it's going to affect my faith. It might be different for different people. I'm not here to create a doctrine on what is and isn't right, because ultimately, and I'm going to say this, because there are some things that are just blatantly wrong and shouldn't be in your mind. But ultimately, not everything that is legal, for lack of a better term, is good for you. It might be some things that are okay, but when they get in your mind, they challenge the word in your heart. You have to be able to hear the Holy Ghost give you instruction on That's not for you. I'll tell you one thing for me. See, I'm very intellectual. I've always been. I like history and I like philosophy and I like those things and I went through a phase where I was over intellectually trying to understand the Bible in place of having an experience with the Lord so I was reading all these books and listening to podcasts and watching all these videos and trying to build my faith through scientific endeavor and I was getting so confused till I started doubting whether God was even real just because this one guy with a PhD said this one thing, and he said, well, it could mean this. And I didn't have a good response, so I said, well, maybe he got something to that. And that was a years-long battle for me. And I realized I didn't have that problem when I didn't listen to those people. I was happy with the Lord. And the light bulb went off. The Holy Ghost said, you and me are cool. But you adding these people in, and I ain't spoke to none of them. And you're trying to, to have in your mind what belongs in your heart. You're not going to know me intellectually. You're going to know me the way you know anybody, through experience. Those PhDs, those doctors, they don't know me because they read a bunch of books about people that said they knew stuff about me. And yeah, the book is old, and there's a lot of cool history in the Bible. But you know God because he's alive. Amen. If your God is only on paper, he's not a living God. Amen. A living God can speak for himself. Amen. And he will speak to you if you want him to, if you ask him to. <laughs> and the core of your relationship with God is going to come from that. And anything that happens in your intellect above that is either going to challenge it or support it. But it's not going to be the, the core of it. And once I got that revelation, I stopped listening to those things. And every so often they pop up, you know, and that little itch comes because I still like Bible history. And there's good stuff. There's good Bible history. There's a lot of good things to learn in, in biblical history and, and, and ancient languages and all that stuff. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I was taking it to a place and letting it sit in my mind where I was up at night questioning the nature of God and if he was real. And I had seen demons cast out my whole life. And I still prayed in tongues. I'm not crazy. I wasn't making that up. But you can be a tongue-talking believer and question whether God is real just by letting your mind hold on to thoughts for too long. That was my battle. Because not everything is necessary. And you got to know you. And anything that can 
attach itself to your faith growth process in your heart, you have to keep away from your heart. It could be anything. Maybe you're too into cars. Thank God that's not my problem because I like cars. But you can be so into cars that it gets in the way. Maybe you like clothes. Lord, I hope not because my wife would be out back. <laughs> no, I, every time she steps out the house, she, she has five outfits. The first four she tries on before she puts on the one she's going to wear. That's why it takes us forever to get anywhere. Yesterday we had somewhere to go. No, this morning we had somewhere to go. And I was sitting on the couch just wasting time. I made some breakfast and was chilling and, and playing on my phone and stuff. And she's in the bedroom for an hour getting dressed. And she said, baby, ready? I said, nope. She said, you're going to get ready? I said, yep. She said, you're going to do it now? Because I'm about done. I said, okay. I got up. Five minutes later, I was standing at the door with keys in my hand. What's taking you so long, babe? It took me five minutes. She's been going for an hour. That's how y'all ladies are. So thank God. But maybe somebody's too into clothes. And it gets in the way. Doesn't matter what it is. You got to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. And you'll know because if there's any word in you, it's fighting to be kept. And sometimes we just step over it. We go, okay, you know, I'm all right. I like this show. And you give your mind to, to your show. And it gets into your heart. Now your heart is not kept. And you think you have good ground because you don't disagree with the word. Jesus didn't say anything about people disagreeing with the word. In any one of those examples, he didn't say anything about agreement. Everybody that the word got in their heart, they agreed with it. He said the first guy agreed with it right away, but he didn't have any root. The second guy agreed with it. He even got some, some faith out of it. But he got distracted because he got a little too comfortable. So this is not about disagreeing with the word. This is about how you handle the seed of the word in your heart. I'm saying the word, but I want you to be focused on faith because faith is the fruit of the word, not the thing you're believing about. I want to draw a line there because a lot of times we don't even get into the word until we're looking for something specific. Oh, I need more money, so I'm going to pull up prosperity scriptures and I'm going to start reading and speaking prosperity scriptures. Nothing wrong with that. But the, re the manifestation of that is going to be faith. If you keep that word, if you keep your heart with that seed in it, safe from all the things that are coming, and you have to anticipate those things coming because you have an enemy, this is not surprise attacks. These are things that have attacked every believer, including Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost and had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And immediately after that, the devil showed up after a 40-day fast. Nobody's more spiritual than they are after 40 days of fasting. And that's when the devil showed up. And the entire attack was in Jesus' mind. The entire temptation was in his mind. And I can take you through that, but I don't have time. So you're going to be attacked. Don't think of temptation as just the devil want you to do something bad. Most of the time, temptation is not that, which is why we miss it. Because we're waiting for some good-looking woman to turn your head from your wife, or somebody to roll up with some drugs and say, hey, man, take a hit, or somebody to, to get in your face and try to make you fight. And we call those temptations. And those are real obvious ones, so we kind of have a defense against those, or we fight a little bit harder against those. But that's not most of your temptation. Most of your temptation is stuff that you allow in your mind because it don't look bad from the outside. You have to learn to judge what is good for you by what is good for the word in your heart, not by what is bad looking or good looking. But you have to be conscious of the state of your heart at all times. Otherwise, you'll let a lot of stuff get into that filter that you don't even realize. You get a family member telling you how to, man, we can make some money doing this. And you go, well, yeah, that, sound, that don't sound too bad. That don't sound too bad. But you've been cultivating this word in your heart. And that word is building faith in you. It's building an image in you. 
And one of the things we do a lot of times is we justify a shift in direction and call it the end result is, a, is the will of God. If God wants me to be rich, why can't I get rich that way? God wants you to be wealthy, but he wants you to be wealthy by faith. And to get wealthy by faith, you have to be, you have to be good at cultivating faith in your heart. Does that make sense? There's a lot of rich people that don't have no faith. Every way of getting wealthy is not your way. It's not God saying, go get it any way you can get it. He says, go to my word, get the seed, and see the faith is going to grow an image in you. It's going to create an identity in you. And then, as you keep that and cultivate that, the third stage of this process, first we hear the word, then we cultivate it. What's time I got? I got five minutes. Now here's the part that matters. Well, I'm not going to say it matters most, but this is the part where we kind of get it wrong a lot, but it's important. The condition of the heart, if you're taking notes, write this down, is revealed by the mouth. So we talked about all faith begins in the heart. We hear it. It gets to our mind first. We hear the word, and the first place the word goes is our mind. And then we decide what to do with that word when it gets in our mind. If we say, you know what, I'm going to let that get into my heart. It gets into our heart, but now we have to keep it. So we cultivate it. And over a season of cultivating it, it's going to reveal itself through our mouth. Faith speaks. But here's where a lot of us mess up. Oh, I cannot wait till next week because I'm going to need a whole other time just to teach this point. Faith, oh, it's prayer night. Well, y'all be praying, I be preaching. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just pray real loud and y'all take notes. <laughs> Let's do that. Faith. I love prayer night, but it just seems to pop up on me at the most inopportune times. <laughs> Faith, or the condition of your heart, is revealed through your mouth. I know what your heart is by what you say. But not just what you say. Because we say a lot of things that aren't in our heart. And what I mean by that is, it's easy to repeat what you've heard that sounds good. But there's a difference when it's coming out of you. There's power to it when it comes out of you. There are things that everyone in here has in them that when they say that thing, it's attached to what they are inside of themselves. Those are the things that manifest. Mark 11. Go to Mark 11. I have two minutes. Let me show you something about Mark 11 that you don't understand because I didn't understand it, and I'm going to assume that you didn't understand it either, even though you may have understood it. I didn't understand it, so I'm going to teach it. Mark 11, 22. And I'll, I'll give you this little side note. Fear, fear in its easiest definition is just faith in anything other than the word. That's fear. Fear does not necessarily mean scared. We talked about that a long time ago. Fear doesn't necessarily mean scared. Fear is just faith in anything other than the word. Because you can get faith from things that aren't the word. That's fear. Fear hijacks the exact same system of mind, heart, and mouth, it hijacks that system. It hijacks the exact same system of mind, heart, and mouth that faith uses. Which is why you can say things that you're afraid of and they come to pass. Because if you pass it through the mind, the heart, and the mouth, and speak, once it gets out of your mouth, it's just as alive as if it was faith. Because you are the engine that generates this process. I can tell you to repeat something that has not had time in your mind and has not had time in your heart. And you can repeat it and it has no power. 
Or you can hear something on TV and let it live in your mind until it gets into your heart and then you keep it and cultivate it until it comes out of your mouth and it'll manifest. And everybody in here is capable of doing that and has done it and is doing it on some level. There's no feelings involved, it's a system. It's just like that diesel engine. You can take it apart and put it back together a thousand times and it'll run. You're running it right now. Your mistake, my mistake, has been not watching what we run through that process. But you know you can control what you run through that process. Oh, that's the beautiful thing, because I love processes. I don't like feelings, because feelings are fickle. They move around. They change. Something happens, you feel good. Something happens, you feel bad. And now I got to be a whole different person based on how I feel. See, I don't like that. That's not how I function. I like processes. That's why I took to mechanics, because I like things that are consistent no matter what. Faith is a system. It's a process. We can control what we manifest as we master this process. But I got to come back to teach you that part. I can, this, is all, this is all surface level stuff. I didn't even get to get into Mark 11. Because believe it or not, and you believe it because y'all are believers, that's actually what Mark 11 is about. Now, Mark 11 has been preached masterfully so many times by so many great men and women of God that I dare not claim to teach it better than anyone else. But I've got a revelation about Mark 11 based on this principle that I've never seen before. And I've heard it preached since I was a child. Dad and mom got great revelation. Mark 11 is so loaded, you can read it 20 times and get, get it something different every time you see it. But it all connects. But I saw something in Mark 11 that I've never seen before. And it relies on your faith in this process. Because remember, when Jesus taught, he spoke from his truth. He spoke from the truth. He didn't speak from their understanding. He knew they couldn't understand half of what he was saying. He was making a record so that once they had gotten the Holy Ghost, they could go back. He said, the Holy Ghost is going to bring back to your remembrance everything I've taught you. Half of what Jesus said, they, he knew they didn't get it. But it was for us. It was for us. And it would be for them once they had the Holy Ghost. So you don't read the scripture in the understanding of the words alone. Because you'll, just, you'll be just like the disciples before they got saved. What does he mean by born again? Nicodemus said, can a man enter his mother's womb again? Because born again didn't make sense. We know what born again means now because the Holy Ghost has revealed the meaning to us. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was educated. He was a ruler. And this grown man said, can a man go back into his mother's womb? Because Jesus said stuff that won't for them at the time. It was for us. You understand? Mark 11 is for us. And the meaning of it has been lost in the religion. But I found the meaning. And when we come back, we're going to get into it. Amen? Yeah. Amen. See, now I'm excited. Now I want to teach. That was just my intro. Now I really want to get into it, but I'm out of time.